from dysfunction to desire. Another way to conceive of the attachment dimensions is not through their dysfunctions, but through their strengths and desires. Defining the attachment styles through the dimensions of attachment avoidance and attachment anxiety can easily paint a bleak picture of dysfunction and have people focusing on what's wrong with them. Based on this two-dimensional model, even a secure attachment which is revered as the desired goal is just being framed as how low in attachment anxiety and attachment avoidance it is. Instead of being presented in its fullness with all the positive strengths and capacities that this attachment style embodies. Let's take a person with a dismissive style as an example and look at how negative framing works. Because they're high in the avoidance axis and low in the anxiety axis, someone with a dismissive style is likely to use distancing and deactivating strategies when faced with relationship challenges. On the other end of the spectrum, someone in the preoccupied style sits low on the avoidance axis and high on the anxiety axis. Their strategies look more like hyperactivation and pursuing their partner in moments of relationship pain. But we don't need to only use this negative framing of how these attachment-based emotional tendencies often play out. If instead of looking at how people with these insecure attachment styles jump to using either hyperactivating or deactivating strategies, we were to measure their levels of attachment avoidance or attachment anxiety, we can explore the positive aspects of these styles. Each of the different styles come with its own strengths and values. The insecure attachment styles are not just survival strategies that kick into gear in response to attachment rupture or relationship distress. At their root, they can also be expressions of the essential human desires for autonomy and connection. On one hand, we have the need for agency, independence, and choice. And on the other hand, we have the need for closeness, connection, support, and union. Ken Wilber, creator of Integral Theory, sees the horizontal dimensions, the anxiety axis, in the diagram above, as relating to drives that we all share. The basic human drive for agency sits on one end of the spectrum, and the equally human drive for communion sits on the other. All people, regardless of sex or gender, share these internal energies, capacities, and drives for both autonomy and connection. From this perspective, the dismissive style, which uses minimizing 
and dismissing strategies to dampen and cope with attachment distress can also be seen as the strategy of someone who, when in less reactivity, is more aligned with their needs for autonomy and agency. In its healthier expression, people with a higher draw to autonomy can exhibit more highly developed abilities for self-sufficiency and competence in tending to the needs of the practical, logistical, and material aspects of the world. They have the ability to compartmentalize emotions, which can be a very handy skill in certain circumstances. When these needs move too far outside of their healthy expressions, agency and autonomy can transform into feeling alienation and isolation, becoming emotionally unreachable, or refusing or even denying the need for connection or help from others. A person's boundaries can get too rigid and they may shut others out and shut themselves too far in. When this happens, the values of autonomy and agency distort into more of a reactive strategy than a skillful expression of a person's needs. Here's another example. The preoccupied style is based on hyperactivating strategies in response to attachment distress. And people with this style are often portrayed as being needy and codependent. But when someone is in the healthy range, this style can be reframed as being more aligned with the values of connection and togetherness. People with this style can have highly developed skills when it comes to identifying and attuning to the emotions of others, and they can be highly competent in tending to others' needs and handling the responsibilities of interpersonal relationships. When this goes too far, straying from its healthy expression a person's communing drives can become unhealthy forms of enmeshment and fusion. They may lose themselves in a relationship and see a decreased ability to truly know themselves or even make up their own minds. Figure 2.2 shows how the values and drives for agency and communion can go beyond their healthier manifestations, and turn into either self-alienation or self-abandonment. To navigate our relationships from a place of health and wholeness, we need to learn how to manage these seemingly contradictory drives. We need to find ways to feel sovereign without losing our connection to others and to be in communion with others without losing our sense of self. The healthy range on this spectrum corresponds to the skills and abilities of the secure attachment style. When a person is able to embrace their autonomy without fear of abandonment, as well as dive deep into intimacy and connection without the concern of engulfment, 
attachment researcher Mary Main posits that in childhood, secure attachment arises when a parent responds in a sensitive way to their child's needs for both autonomous exploration and proximity and comfort. The dismissive attachment style results from parents who discourage their child's proximity-seeking attachment behaviors. And their preoccupied attachment style develops from the experience of having parents who discourage autonomy. Being open and responsive to the full spectrum of our attachment needs is important for embodying the fullness of our emotional capacities as adults. A common predicament that arises in relationships is referred to as the distancer-pursuer dance. In this type of relationship, a person pairs up with their ostensible opposite from an attachment perspective. So one partner, the distancer, constantly seeks more space, while the other, the pursuer, constantly pursues more connection. As the distancer attempts to take physical or emotional space, the pursuer moves in closer to try to bridge the gap. The closer that the pursuer comes, the more the distancer pulls back, which then provokes the pursuer to move in even more. The pursuer never catches up, while the distancer never fully gets the breathing room they need. The pursuer fears that they will be abandoned, while the distancer fears being engulfed. In this dance, both partners are left frustrated and unable to get their needs met, often missing that this archetypal pattern has more to do with their inner self than their partner, who is just serving as a mirror reflecting back the parts of them that have been exiled and disowned. The distancer has cast off the parts of their self that yearns for closeness and connection and that desperately fear being abandoned. They are drawn to the pursuer who will act these needs and fears out for them so that the distancer doesn't have to. The pursuer in turn has projected outward the parts of their self that crave autonomy and independence and that are actually afraid of truly being vulnerable, being seen and being close. The pursuer is drawn to the distancer, who will act out these needs and fears for them, so that they don't have to. They are both trying to achieve the wholeness, which is what keeps them rather dancing. But it's the dance itself that prevents them from taking responsibility for the parts of themselves they have disowned. They instead blame their partners for enacting these elements of themselves. When I began working with these aspects of autonomy and connection within myself, I came across a dilemma of how to bring these two poles together. Initially, when I conceived of these drives as existing on a spectrum, they often felt in opposition to each other, with only one need or drive being attainable at a time, usually at the expense of the other. How could I inch myself more towards communion without compromising my integrity? 
and how could I move more towards my independence without compromising my connections? So, when in doubt, I've learned it can be useful to switch metaphors. Instead of seeing these needs and attachment expressions as existing on a continuum, a two-dimensional space in which you can only occupy one position at a time, what if we conceive of the needs for autonomy and connection as the two reins of secure functioning? When riding a horse, we use two reins to control the direct and direct the horse. If we want to turn left, we tighten our grip to tug on the left rein, simultaneously loosening the other rein. We do the opposite to move right. The terrain ahead is constantly changing, and so the reins in our hands are constantly readjusting. With time and practice, we gain the ability to simultaneously tighten and loosen the reins without tightening so hard that we hurt or jerk the horse or loosening so much that the communication and direction are lost. 